0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a
1: verse by verse study through the Gospel of John and this is the 124th program in this series. In this program, I'm at the end of John chapter 19. What has happened is that Jesus has been crucified. He died, and there were two people who took the body of Jesus. This is described in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38. It says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Nicodemus was referred to in John chapter 3. This is the same person who went to Jesus by night. So you've got two guys, Joseph and Nicodemus, who are considered to be elders in the community, who are highly respected. And these are the guys who show up. After Jesus is dead, they are disciples of Jesus. They believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They knew that he had come from God, as Nicodemus described in John chapter three. These guys were believers in Jesus, but they were believers secretly. And now they show up after Jesus is dead. Now, I think that this is interesting that these guys were believers in secret, but after he's dead, well, it doesn't seem to matter so much anymore. The religious leaders who had made the decision to reject Jesus as the Messiah, and they threatened other people if they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, these are the people that extorted Pilate into murdering Jesus. And the belief among the people would likely be at this time that it's over, regardless of whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. He's dead. And so the issue concerning whether or not a person is going to believe in him is considered to be over. Is it at this time that Joseph and Nicodemus feel kind of safe about letting people know that they believed in him? Is this the time, is this the day when they are going to testify to people that they were disciples of Jesus, that they were believers in Jesus? Is it okay to testify of him now, now that he's dead, now that he's supposedly no longer a threat? Is that when these guys show up? It appears that that's the case, that that's when these guys show up. Now, the leadership, the religious leadership there in Israel, mainly in Jerusalem, they had decided that if anyone said that Jesus was the Messiah, that they would be cast out of the synagogue. And what that meant was, was that a person was no longer really considered to be a member of the Jewish community, in a sense. And they had the power to do that. They had the power to make a decree that this person should no longer have access to the synagogue and people would comply because of the advantages of having a good relationship with those who were in positions of power, who had influence in the temple, those kinds of things. Now, the consequences related to being cast out of the synagogue were significant. Not only would a person not have access to the community centers, But the people would also begin to isolate those who were cast out of the synagogue. And they would be isolated by no longer doing business with that person. You would not hire this person to do work for you. You would not buy things that these people would offer for sale. You would not do any work for them either. These were side effects of being cast out of the synagogue. So if you were going to continue to be a part of the society, you would have to function with relationships that were outside of the synagogues and outside of the temple structures. Now, it turned out that there were lots of people who were in the land who were not religious, who didn't care about participating in the temple activities anyway, who didn't care about what people believed or didn't believe. And so there were ways that people could form new relationships if they didn't already have them. They could form new relationships with other people and they could engage in trade with these other people just fine. And so it wasn't automatically the case that you would have to leave the land, go to another country in order to build a new life for yourself. It wasn't necessary, but life would definitely change for people. And they would have to make a lot of adjustments. Now, these two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, were highly respected people in the land. Nicodemus especially, because he was recognized as being a rabbi of rabbis. So he was very popular. He was very influential. And from what we know about him from the historical writings... He was relatively wealthy because he was able to get a lot of work. He was a well digger. He dug wells and he repaired wells. And he had a lot of opportunities to work because he was popular, because he was a man who the people recognized as being very religious and a man who had a great deal of integrity. Now, according to the Talmudic writings that we have With regards to Nicodemus, there is also the testimony that Nicodemus died in poverty, that he did not do very well after it was recognized that he was a believer in Jesus. And this is recorded in the Talmud as a warning to anyone else who may believe in Jesus, because if you do, well, you could suffer the same kinds of consequences That Nicodemus experienced. Now of course, the consequences that Nicodemus experienced were the result of the behavior of other people. But it was suggested that this was divine punishment for him believing in Jesus as the Messiah, and it was suggested by the religious leadership that he was not. And so the belief was that Nicodemus experienced the divine punishment of God because he sinned against God with his belief system that he had and so God punished him effectively cursed him in accordance with the Mosaic law that if you fail to live in obedience to the law then you will be cursed and you will not be materially blessed and Nicodemus was materially blessed because of the relationships that he had before but when those relationships went away with other people then the rest of his life would be a life of relative struggle Now, this was represented in the Talmudic writings as a warning to people to avoid the divine judgment of God. But I personally think the evidence is overwhelming to show that what Nicodemus experienced had nothing to do with divine judgment or divine intervention at all. It had to do with the relationships he had with other people. And these other people were people who took the position... That the truth is not important. That's what was revealed. That people were not arguing over the truth. The reason why the religious leadership extorted Pilate into murdering Jesus was not because they had a different belief about Jesus. That they believed that Jesus was a liar, he was dishonest, that he wasn't the Messiah, that had nothing to do with it. As I explained in the previous chapters, the reason why the religious leaders extorted Pilate into murdering Jesus was because they were concerned about revolution, they were concerned about potential civil war, they were concerned about the Romans waging war against the Jews and restructuring the society such that these religious leaders would lose their place, they would lose their position because of a potential revolt a revolution that could potentially occur if the people wanted to assert Jesus as the Messianic King. Now, of course, he had the opportunity when he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey in his triumphal entry, he had the opportunity to raise an army to perhaps lead a revolt and maybe establish Israel as an independent nation again. But he didn't do that. And so this concern that the religious leaders had was obviously an illegitimate concern that Jesus demonstrated was illegitimate when he arrived in Jerusalem on that day. And also through his conversation with Pilate after he was arrested, he made it clear that he was not there to wage war against the Romans. But the religious leaders wanted him to be murdered anyway. So this is what I want you to see. I want you to see that the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah had nothing to do with the truth. So what did it have to do with? What was it really about? It was about the lie, and it was about trying to protect the dishonesty of the unbelievers. That's what it was about. You see, when these disciples... Believed in Jesus. They believed in Him because it was true. It was the truth that they held onto. And these other people, they refused to believe in Him because they did not want to believe the truth. They did not want the truth to be exposed. They wanted to continue to live in their own fantasy. But you can't do that so easily when you've got people around you who are proclaiming the truth and who are exposing you as a liar. When people are exposing you for who you are as a liar, as a deceiver, as a fraud, as someone who denies reality, as someone who proclaims that they are a believer in God and yet they are not, when that truth is exposed, well, then there is a problem, then there is a conflict, because these were people who would rather murder someone than be exposed for being the evil people that they really are. And so the violence that was perpetrated on Jesus was perpetrated by people who were evil people, who were only trying to protect themselves, protect themselves in the sense that they did not want their evil to be exposed. They did not want people to know the truth about who they really were. And if anybody dared expose the truth, well those religious leaders and others, they showed the people if anyone dares to expose the truth of us, well, we're going to find a way to hurt you. We might even find a way to get you murdered like we did to Jesus. So let this be a warning to all you good people out there that if you speak of or you expose the truth of us, well, we are going to go after you, that's for sure. And there are people like this all around you. They really are. It's just a matter of circumstances and opportunity for them to be exposed. But there are people like this everywhere, even today, who do not care about the truth unless the truth is going to expose who and what they really are. Then they care. They care enough to perpetrate violence in any and every way they can possibly imagine against those people who exposed the truth about them. So this can produce a lot of fear. This can produce a lot of concern. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus may have been believers in Jesus. They may have been disciples, but they were afraid. They were afraid of these other people who might hurt them, and they were afraid of losing the relationships that they already had with a lot of other people. And I really want to point that out. I want you to see that even though these guys were relatively learned, they were popular, they were great elders in the community, this displays a tremendous amount of weakness now, Nicodemus did overcome this, and he did publicly testify of Jesus as being the Messiah. He did let people know that he was a disciple eventually. And this is what I want you to understand, is that sometimes it will take time for a person to adjust to the new reality that they have come to understand. And it can take some time for a person to adjust to the risks associated with testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. And even though I can speak strongly against Joseph and Nicodemus about being secret believers and about them showing up after Jesus is dead, when they could have showed up and they could have done a lot more if they would have testified about their beliefs in him before he died and was gone, even though I can speak strongly about this. I want you to know that I myself had the same struggle. I had relationships with lots of people who were a part of synagogues. I had family relationships that were going to be threatened and, of course, did dissolve because of my belief in Jesus as the Messiah. I could see that there were going to be some changes, and so I did not testify that I believed in Jesus right away. It took some time. Even though I knew the truth, even though the truth became so obvious to me that I would never turn away or deny the truth, I still didn't testify about my belief in Jesus, not for a while. It wasn't until I grew in my faith, until I matured more in my understanding of the gospel, it wasn't until I was finally confronted with the fact that my lack of testimony was in effect a testimony against Jesus. And the ritualistic practices that I was a part of were in effect a testimony against Jesus and the truth and the law of Moses. It was then when I was finally confronted with that and my participation was in effect a rejection of the truth, when I really understood that, that was when I publicly testified in the synagogue that I was a part of, that Jesus is the Messiah. And I let my family know that I was going to take the position that Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, I was rejected. But why was I rejected? I considered that to be the truth. No one would have a discussion with me about the truth. No one cared about the truth. All that people were concerned about was the exposure of themselves. Now they've got somebody in their lives who is going to expose the truth that they do not believe in God, that they do not believe in the Messiah. They will not even have a discussion. They would never have a discussion about who is God and who is the Messiah. None of that has ever had any relevance at all. The only concern that people had who were in my life before was that I was a person who was devoted to what was true and that the truth had importance to me as a person. As a consequence, of course, I was an embarrassment to them because my very existence would challenge their illegitimacy, their sin, their evil and their rejection of God, and of the law of Moses, and their denial of reality, because I made a decision that I wanted to spend the rest of my life living in reality, living in honesty, living in integrity, living in the truth. That is not what these people have ever had an interest in. And as far as I know, to this day, they still do not want truth, integrity, and honesty to be a part of their life at all. That is not how they make the decisions that they make in their lives, and they do not have relationships with other people who also value what is true and what is not true. They only want other people in their lives who don't care about the truth So there's nothing to discuss. There's nothing to argue about. Everyone can believe whatever they want to believe as long as they don't declare that what they believe is true, because everybody knows that it isn't. And so they want people in their lives who deny reality and so that these people can live in their denial of reality and no one would dare challenge them because they're not going to challenge anybody else. And if anyone ever dares to speak up about what is real and what is true, well, they will suffer consequences similar maybe to the consequences that everybody imposed on me as a person, which was absolute rejection. And to this day, I have no connection and no relationships with anyone in my past life, in my previous history before I came to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, at first, this was a problem. This was a concern because I wanted to have a good quality relationship with these people who were in my life before. And it took a long time for me to adjust to the new reality. But eventually, this is what I discovered. What I discovered was that it was much better for me to have new relationships with new people, to find a new life, to build a new community and to have people in my life who wanted to be truthful and honest and have integrity and live in that which is real, that it was more important for me to do that and to let go of the others But what made it so much easier for me over time was to discover that through the new relationships that I was able to build and have with other people, I realized that it is not good for me to be in the lives of other people who deny reality and who do not want to acknowledge the truth, that I should not be in their lives in the sense that I should not be contributing to their lives i should not be available to do things for them to be a part of their life in a way that they would benefit now of course i can make decisions to do that and under some circumstances i certainly would and i would honor any agreements that i made but in general why should i make my goodness available to other people who reject the truth, who reject reality, who reject the living God? Why should I contribute to their lives? And this is something that I think Nicodemus and Joseph should have eventually recognized, that while it is good to be involved in the lives of other people so that you may perhaps reach them with the truth, it is also acceptable To remove your services from these people, to not be a part of their lives anymore than what could be useful in order to relate the truth to them or be available for them should they experience a significant change in life such that they might reconsider the reality that God has presented. But outside of that, why do business with these people? Why have relationships with these people? Why provide goodness in their lives when these are people who are like this to you? So I would have encouraged Nicodemus and Joseph and others who are in similar positions today. I would encourage people to let these other people go, to go somewhere else if you need to, to build a new life with better people and not be so afraid Of what you might lose, lose these unhealthy relationships, let them go and build quality relationships with other people. Now, continuing into verse 40, then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury, which, of course, was just the custom at this time. Customs have changed throughout the centuries. In verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. And this preparation day was the preparation day for the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. It was the second preparation day in a week of three consecutive preparation days. And I will continue into chapter 20 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 124th program in the verse by verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, speaking about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were both disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus in secret because they were afraid of the religious leaders of their time. They were afraid that if they were discovered, if it was discovered that they believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that they would suffer consequences, such as being cast out of the synagogue, losing opportunities to do work, losing relationships, losing position. They did have a lot to lose. But in this program, I spoke about the character of the people who they were afraid of, and that we should recognize these people for who they are, that they do not want the truth to be exposed and they are willing to impose pain and suffering and punishment in whatever way they can to hurt people who proclaim the truth. And I explained that these are people that they should disconnect from and no longer provide these people with their goodness, with what they can provide and that they should form new relationships with other people who won't be so violent.